Hey everyone, Pearl's here, and today we're here to take our focus on those that were left behind, the grievers. You know, we often only think of a loss and how the person that once was is now gone. And while that is true, there's also those left behind bearing witness to a new day without that person. The left behind, as I say it, we almost neglect that part of the loss, the loss of the relationship the loss of what once was their life and reality that ceases to exist immediately, the loss of identity, the loss of meaning and purpose, all these secondary losses that picked up along the way as we said our goodbye. It's those that are left behind truly needing that support. We forget about that. We forget about them. We forget about what it takes to let go, move on, without a piece of your life and start all over again. So in saying that, back in June of this year, on the second year anniversary of my mom's death, I got to writing a post on just that and shared how that sometimes the moment of silence is reserved for the griever instead. And as I was working through that myself, I came across a post from Pretty Ugly Grief, which deeply resonated with me on what was being shared. And I'll just read about it really quickly. It said, while everyone was mourning Whitney, my heart was aching for the daughter she left behind. Bobby Christina was just a month shy of her 19th birthday when she lost her mother. Oftentimes we are so caught up in the honoring of the dead that we forget about honoring their life by taking care of the people they've left behind. It spoke to me personally and also comforted me knowing that someone else out there was also thinking the same way. And so today I brought on Giselle Clemens to share more on what that experience is just like for her and those grievers left behind. Welcome, Giselle. How are you today? Thank you, Pearls. I am fine. Thank you so much for inviting me to have this conversation with you, such an important conversation um, that, as you so eloquently stated, um, is missing in the conversation around grief and the aftermath of losing someone. Um, so thank you so much again. And I'm just really um, honored to be able to share space with you um, as we honor our loved ones by mm-hmm. um, highlighting our journey so that others don't feel so alone. Yes, absolutely. I'm so happy that you are more than willing to share because it was that important to you just as it is to me. And so I, you know, I remember asking you, why are you podcasting with me today? And I think you had a specific purpose with today. I, so when I first launched Pretty Ugly Grief um, this summer, I did feel just as strongly as you about, you know, having more of these conversations. Um, But as many people will probably attest to the grieving, the grief community, um, the, the genesis and the, the, the anchoring of pretty ugly grief is really speaking to specifically black women and young black women who've experienced parental loss. And so for me, that, it felt disingenuous to have that conversation on a platform that wasn't a woman of color because I, that the highlighting of the fact that women of color experience grief too and differently because of cultural differences um, would not, would just didn't feel like it was going to be able to resonate with perhaps that person's listeners 
And I want to speak to people who understand this experience. Yeah. Well, I'm so glad that I could be a part of that for you and with you um, along the way. I think you're right. You know, um, I, you know, the loss, a loss is a loss. And, you know, I don't think we are comparing in any experience there, but like you said, there is something to be said about with us and uh, the culture, you know, the, the black and brown communities and how they've been impacted specifically because of our cultural differences. So let's just start by why was it important for you to share that post? It was important for me to share that post um, because when I, Whitney Houston, um, just from my own perspective and experiences, it's, a, it's part of sort of my story because I was specifically wanting to speak to and for black women. I was intentionally looking and trying to think of black women in media and, you know, pop culture who have experienced grief and what was that like for them. Um, and I remember very succinctly feeling very heavy when Whitney Houston passed away because not only was she from my hometown, Newark, New Jersey, her funeral was held in the same church that my mother's funeral was held in. I grew up in that church. And so wow. it was triggering on so many different levels, um, but specifically Bobby Christina and just sort of the turmoil and of her life after losing her mother like well, I I can't shake I can't shake it, and I feel like there are our our community um, kind of glossed over the fact that there was such an impactful moment for her losing her mother that she really didn't recover from, um, and so that yeah. was really important. That's why it was really important for me to stress that, um, and it was also um, my own sort of. PSA, so to speak, um, about this mm -hmm. experience because it just gets lost so often. And then in this year of 2020, with so much grief and so much death due to COVID, um, and specifically for Black and Brown communities, it just feels like grief and loss has become so normal and so desensitized in so many ways. Um, and, and because we're so disconnected, how are we connecting with people to support them? And so that's what all of that was for me, just trying to a reconciliation of all of those feelings and thoughts and just saying, hey, look, this is something that was happening way back then and it's happening now and it's gonna continue to happen and we have to do something differently about how we honor the loss of a loved one by making sure that the people that they left behind are taken care of. Yes. And I love that piece of information that you shared in the post and now today as well is that, yes, we've had a significant loss, especially if it's a parent. And, you know, you specifically said so caught up in the honoring of the dead that we forget about honoring their life by taking care of the people they've left behind. And I personally had that experience too, where and I'm sure others have as well, because it's just a natural part of it. You know, after everything is said and done, we're just left there to pick up, right? And the people that 
came to visit us or for that first month or so, um, it's, it's as if it's, you know, they no longer come back for that same type of remembrance of honoring their relationship to the departed um, by honoring you. And I think, you know, those are some of the relationship losses that I felt directly, you know, people that I know were very close to my mother and that my mother had, you know, taken under her wings, but yet um, somehow with her parting, it changed the dynamics of the relationship with those she left behind, you know, which was an important piece for her, right? My mother would have wanted that, right? For, to be honored in a way to be taken care of for those she left behind, specifically her daughter and children and, you know, the ones that she loved. So I just loved how much weight that statement carries is that it's not just about attending a funeral. It's not about just getting some flowers over or bringing some food over. It's about honoring their entire life and what they did for you, the relationship that you had with them by taking care of the ones that she left behind, right? For those who ever left. And it's hard to have those conversations in real time, right? Because the reality is, and again, so for some background, my mother was killed 11 years ago this past June um, in a vehicular homicide. Some kids were running from the cops and they crashed into her. So this is 11 years of experience, right? None of this happens in the first year, the second year, the third year. I would say, you know, I don't know when it happened, but I started to realize that, you know, I think it happened with my father first um, and realizing like, so my parents were divorced at the time, um, maybe a year officially, and they had been together for 20 something years, right? And so, and and I, my dad and I had a strained relationship at the time of her death. And so I remember thinking maybe a couple of years later, like, oh my goodness, whoa, he lost someone too, right? Like, like it didn't connect, it didn't click with me. You know, he was one of the people that I felt like did not do enough, mm-hmm. did not do nearly as enough as what he should have done as, as far as I was concerned. My brother and sister were much younger than me. They were 13 and 11. They did go to live with him. But as far as, you know, what happened to me, which is why Pretty Ugly Grief is specifically for like young adults because there's that weird transition in like teenage into you know over 21 where people think you're old enough and you're grown but you're really not and like how grown are you if you just lost your mother kind of thing (laughs) Um, so it was a very weird space to be in still needed to go to school still needed to have career pathways still needed to understand finances like all of those components that you expect your mother to teach you or your mother to guide you through it was just completely ripped away from me and so I have another parent I have my father however he was remarried he was in another state Um, I did not go to live with him that's and so why didn't he show up for me right um and it took a lot of therapy number one (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) That's real talk. <laughs> and, um, a lot of just conversations and 
maturing in my own self to realize like, oh my goodness, he had his own loss. And while everyone was maybe concerned about my brother and sister and, you know, perhaps me as well in their own ways, no one was like, hey, Greg, how are you doing? How are you holding up? And I think in general, you know, my, my, my experience with loss has given me a sensitivity and a consideration that is like so rare as I start to, as I interact with people where I'm just like, how come you don't think like this? Or how come you don't see things this way? But it's because like you become so tender and, and, and fragile and vulnerable to every little thing and understanding of people. And so I got it. I, I got why my father may not have been able to do for me what I needed for him to do. I got why maybe my mom's best friends didn't know how to show up, right? Because perhaps it was even triggering for them, right? To constantly be reminded of this connection that they have with me only because of someone who's no longer here. And so I, I, I honestly, like, I feel like we, we, we are, we should be having these conversations with them, but I don't know if everyone's really ready to have that conversation. So that's why it's like great that we're discussing it. And it's like, Hey, take a listen. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Right. You want to know how I feel about this or how this, you know, how someone else may feel about this. Take a listen to how we feel in those moments and what, like when it happens, like I intentionally, when I see one of my friends has lost a loved one, I wait because I know that they are bombarded. Like I was still looking at, like I sometimes still Facebook message someone. And one of the last messages they sent me is from 2009 about my mother that I never read, right? Because I was bombarded with support, right? So much, it was overwhelming. And then the next month happened. And then the next month happened and it got quieter and quieter and quieter. And there was a bit of resentment right? Like everyone is going on with their life and I feel stuck. Where is my mother? Where is, where, where am I? What am I doing? What is my purpose? Um, and it, it's, I, I feel like I'm talking in circles and I apologize, but there's just so many different emotions that you feel at that moment um, that you can't articulate in a way that I'm articulating now. There's an understanding that you don't have Mm-hmm. because you just don't know how to come out of the fact that like your life will never be the same. Yeah. You said so much there that I need to go back to a few things. Cause it's just so important. Um, first, I just want to recognize that it's been 11 years since your mother passed. Right. And so for you to share what you're sharing now is, you know, there was time that was, spent in those hard um, beginnings and main way to some important realizations that you just shared with us today, which was one, which is, I, I think is so important is that the things that we are dealing with as it's happening, sometimes it just doesn't make sense. You can't even make sense of it. It's just so chaotic. There's so much emotional vulnerability and just you just don't know what to make of it so it's just very raw um and like you said you can't make sense of it in in real time you can't talk about it in real time you don't even know what just hit you right you're just you're just going forward 
And it's not until some time has gone by. And for you, it's been 11 years that you're sharing that you now understand why maybe your mom's best friends or even your dad, someone who actually was part of the loss too, right? right. Wasn't able to show up in the way that you had expected or had in your mind. Right? And I think that's so important because that was something that I struggled with too. It's just like, how did you not know that I needed this type of support or how to show up or, and there's some relationships that get disconnected in that way. Right. And there has to be an understanding that's met from both sides, right. From one, from you to come to that realization, right. That it wasn't intentionally, it was just not knowing how to show up and that they were also being impacted by this massive change that's happened in your life. And two, you know, you, you were also, um, not knowing how to be supported too. Right. I, I, I thought I knew, but I didn't either, you know? Um, so it was just like a whole mesh of craziness and chaos. So I think that's such an important part of the journey is that you cannot always share in real time. Um, and that's okay. And that, you know, you will come out of it and make sense of it eventually. And that's, that's when it's, you know, our time to shine and share like you're doing today. Right. And it's so funny that you say, you know, you don't know what it is that, you know, what you needed um, in that real time. And um, recently I started EMDR therapy, which is a therapy specifically for like trauma, because the way that I lost my mother was quite traumatic um, unexpected, not a natural illness. She woke up one morning to go, you know, walk the park and try to lose some weight and get ready for her cool crew she was about to go on that summer and never came home, right? Um, and so that, that <laughs> and then the process that followed that, which was, you know, court case and legal stuff and having to go to court like once a month for two years to see quote unquote justice um, be provided um, for the people that were responsible for her death. Um, but um, so trauma, PTSD, right? Post-traumatic stress <laughs> disorder. Um, yeah. And one of the exercises that she had me do was really processing through like, what was it that I need? And honestly, Pearls, the thing that I was saying that I needed in those moments was someone to talk to unabashedly right like not to one to you know make me feel better or be like it'll be okay you know this is I don't need any of that just listen to me talk and cry right and feed me <laughs> yeah, yes. like it was it, it, it was simple basic necessities of like right and I think that's I'm, I'm making that point to have this to say that on this um, platform because I think it make people think that it's so much more than that. And it isn't. It really is. Hey, how are you doing? This is like, I remember a friend would be like, Jizz, which is my nickname. Did you eat? Like, I'm going to, did you eat? Like, I'm, I'm stopping here. Can I, can I bring you something? Or, you know, I had the worst like brain fog. So I had like three and four different people who had my keys. Right. Like just little stuff like that of like, Making some, like, to know that someone has my back, to know that someone is looking out for me. 
my aunt called me every single day right one time my sister couldn't reach me because you know there are days where you just don't want to be bothered it was way too early in the grieving process for my sister and my aunt and they called the police for a wellness check right like those are very real things that I will not forget. And that didn't take a lot. It just took a consideration and an understanding like, wow, this is different. Like this is nothing, like this is nothing that she's ever been through before. Half the time it's nothing that anyone else has been through before. But just the simple things, like when I needed to pack up my house and I posted on Facebook and a bunch of people came through, right? Like. There are things that where you, you you can ask and it's really great. And they're just intangible things of just like, what would you want if that were you? And I think that's what it is that, to be honest, before the loss of my mother, um, you said this earlier too, is that it's, you're, you're talking to somebody and it's like, how come you don't, you, you ask yourself, like, how come you don't think that way? Because it's so rare to yep. be here, to be finally here. Well, it's not a moment I want to be in, but we're here to be in a moment that's outside of like normal. I have a parent, I have parents, um, both healthy and living, you know, I have a whole family and, you know, that's, we take that for granted. That's, you know, normal, but when you don't have that, when that's snatched away from you, you know, either from an illness even much more traumatic as some, you know, where your mother got actually killed, you know, that's just, that's like night and day. Like, you know, one day you wake up and boom, the next day you're just, you, you're not, there's no even warning there, you know? Right. So I can't even imagine what that must've felt like for you just to hear that. Um, but like what you just said, it's so rare that people can understand that. And I think that's what it is. It's just, um, you can't meet that person or show up or know how to, it just seems so overwhelming. They don't even know how to share that. Um, I don't know how to ask of it, to be honest. Um, sometimes I thought I needed something, but then it's just, um, I needed to do this on my own. I think there was a huge part of my journey with the grief and the transformation that was met after that. I just needed to spend that time alone um, and make way to make sense of it uh, for myself, make sense of myself again, um, the pain, the regrets, you know, all of the things that came, you know, flashing forward, it, it was just a lot of me time. Um, and I didn't know it then. And I, you know, kind of like, where is everybody? But yet those simple things that you're looking for, like you said, I think that's, that's what it is. We need to talk about that is that it could be as simple as just getting food over and checking on a daily basis. I think that goes such a long way. It's not as big an overwhelming task. Right. Come do my know? laundry, you know? <laughs> it's really, cause you yes. just don't have the energy. You, you barely, you're just making it to the next day. Right. I remember I had dishes in my sink for so long that my silverware rusted and I had to throw it away. Right. Like that's how, and again, that, that, that is a whole other different conversation around how de depression is manifested in grief, you know, your anxiety, all of these things, you know, it's just magnified at, at, along the, the grief journey. And so I didn't, again, 
again, the, the importance of the cultural differences, I didn't have someone tell me that those things were depression, right? Like I didn't know that that's what, that's, that was a symptom of it, right? Being in my, like not wanting to get out of bed, not wanting to do anything, feeling very lethargic. I remember, you know, at one point taking a shower was a win, right? Like my daily win was, woo, I took a shower today. And this was maybe a few months after everything happened, but I didn't have the, the, the language or the words until I finally saw this very sweet Jewish woman who is now experiencing her own grief with the loss of her husband most recently. But she was able to give me the language and give me the understanding that like, oh my goodness, no, this is, you are experiencing, you know, clinical depression. That's what this is. And so, and it, yeah, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> no, and I want to touch on that because I think you're saying something so, you know, true there is that the cultural difference is, you know, I, I never want to seem like so exclusive that we can't carry this message over to everyone right. and anyone. But you're so on point is why is it, I'm going to ask you, why is it that we didn't know the language? Why is it that our cultural differences, the black and brown communities and of color minorities, you know, why don't we know the language? Why do you think that is? I will say, you know, I, once I learned what depression and anxiety was, it was very clear that I had been experiencing it since I was an adolescent, like since I was much younger. Right. But what, what it was relayed to me in those moments was that I was lazy right or you know just just you, you just don't you don't want to do anything that's why you're laying around in, in the bed or you know I, I had stomach issues so much so that they thought I had an eating disorder I'm a little tiny thing I, and I'm always going to be a little tiny thing but <laughs> I had stomach issues which was really anxiety right it was always around a test period or or things of that nature and I went to a predominantly white prestigious boarding school where I saw a therapist but that still wasn't the conversation that I was having there um and it was because I was not talking about these things as issues I was personalizing it right it was me it was something that was wrong with me that I was too lazy that I wasn't you know strong enough or whatever the case is and I didn't have the mental fortitude or whatever have you whatever internalized thing that I started to believe about myself that wasn't true and what yeah. I will say is that on this journey, this grief journey, I, it, it gave me clarity about things and the way I did things and why I did things because it pushed me into therapy to figure that out. So a lot of my therapy after losing my mother had very little to do with my mother and everything to do with like me and like the relationship that I was supposed to have with my father moving forward, knowing that it was strained, um, what I needed to do for myself to just maintain and push through. Um, but also recognizing that this was, this was very rare, right? This was not a normal occurrence. And so it allowed me to look for tools and ways to be that I may not have done otherwise because black and brown women are not allowed to fall apart. Right. We have yes. to stay strong. We have to, you know, push through and re we're resilient and 
which I hate that word, but you know, it's champion mm-hmm. for those things. We, you know, the myth of the superwoman and all and black girl magic, which isn't what she meant, but just, you know, all of those things <laughs> around this sort of like otherworldness of our abilities. And it's just, and, and because of that, you know, you feel less than when you do give yourself permission to fall apart. Like it's not supposed yeah. to happen. You're not supposed to be doing this. And like, how dare you? Yeah, you hit the nail on the head for me there too. Um, I grew up the same way. You know, I, my mother was one of that mental, strong uh, fortitude that she just had to carry on no matter what may come. And, you know, I never looked at it as a, as a bad thing or unhealthy thing, I would say. I always thought like, wow, she's just amazing. She's a superwoman. And, you know, you carry that into your own personal development and growth and think that that's how you need to be, right? And mask all the, um, you know, the hurt, the pain, and just think that you have to keep moving forward, right? Because that's how we've been brought up. That's how we've been raised. Um, You know, I personally think it has to do the way we've, um, it goes back to our just the way we've come to the country, you know, the immigrant life, and we're just always hustling. We're always trying to make way. Um, And this is not, you know, I'm at a point in my life that I'm blessed enough to not have to hustle, but that's because my mother paved the way for me that I'm here today. You know, it wasn't just because I landed here, um, you know, of by luck and chance, it was more so there was work that was done ahead of us that paved the way, that made the way, and that we can even concentrate to think about our mental health. I don't even know if we would have got to this place, um, Giselle, you and I, unless our mothers took that upon themselves and just, you know, pushed through, struggled. It was It was just a life of making way getting the next promotion and getting a good raise, making that money, you know, all of those things were success indicators. Right. There was no talk about mental health. We didn't know anything about that. Nope. And it, <laughs> you know, what are you talking about? Suck exactly. it up. Exactly. And it wasn't, you know, I even, you know, my mother and I had our own strained relationship in many ways because I did see all of that, right. Her pushing through and, and pushing forward and, all of that great stuff, um, but also witnessing the, you know, the domestic abuse, right? And and then that that other layer of it being like, I don't want to push through that kind of pain. You know what I mean? Like, like, like there are things that, yes, I should push through, but like, I, it was very hard for me to hear my mother as I got older, as someone who could speak sort of advice and life into me as I watch sort of some of the things that she pushed through. It's, it's okay to fall apart. It's okay not to always be strong. I don't think I honestly knew that until after my mom, at that point, like you said, if, you know, everything came off, all the masks right. came off. And I will say that there's a grace and there's a grace period, right? So there's a grace and there's a grace period. So there's a grace that people give you, when something like this happens to fall apart, take advantage of it. But there is a grace period in which how long they will let you do that. <laughs> um, mm. Which is frustrating because um, 
it is not a moment like it is not it is not a moment it's like you, like losing someone is not just oh this happened and you go on it literally becomes your entire life your entire life is yeah. shaped by loss and this significant loss and especially losing a parent so 11 years right. later right You're exactly still here talking about it and figuring it out and dealing with it so there's that too like you know it there is no timeline no. here and I remember you telling me when we first started talking is that it wasn't until actually recently that you're grieving the right. loss right you're you're actually grieving now it's caught up just now 11 years later so that's that's kind of crazy to say yeah out loud, exactly right? like I'm actually finally addressing the grief part of it um and I I I know it was because I could not it, it was similar to me not watching the funeral Whitney's funeral when it happened right I got really really smart very early on about as best as I could <laughs> scheduling when I fell apart right like I I could anticipate and now I'm really good. Like even a few years ago, I could tell a guy that I was dating, like here, here is what this looks like. Here is the time of the year in which my grief looks like this. This is how it manifests. I'm irritable. I'm, you know, very annoyed, easily annoyed. Um, I might have an attitude, um, you know, like all of those things that are like, not really you and I won't know it. So I'm letting you know that this isn't like, so here's what you should do around that time, right? Draw me out, get me out of the house. I'll try to be alone a lot, right? Like I had to learn all of those little tricks and things like that to like help prepare myself for when those things were going to happen. Um, and I know it probably sounds crazy, but like, yeah, you should have a plan to fall apart because you can't do it. I had to be strong for my brother and sister. They are now 24 and 22 years old. And, you know, I think I did an okay job <laughs> by holding it together. But I also was very transparent with them. And I think that's important, too, to really, I really tried to reframe the narrative of, like, what loss looks like, where I was very open with them. I was crying with them. You know, I would share that so that they knew that it was okay for them to feel however they were feeling. Um, yeah. How was it different you being the oldest one? How did, what was that? You know, prior to my mom's death, I was already kind of very much like, like the joke was like, they would call me daddy Giselle. Like I was, it was my mom had, you know, full custody of my brother and sister or, and so, you know, we lived together with them and I helped her, you know, pretty much take care of them. Um, and so I think, you know, once everything happened with my mother, I think the assumption was that I was going to take care of them, but I didn't have any legal standing, right? My dad was there and he had custody, he had, I think it was joint custody actually. So he had custody of them and it was pretty much one and done. Um, it was probably within a week of my mom dying that they were in Philly and I was by myself. Um, and because of the strained relationship that I had with my father, it was strained trying to reach them because of the history that we have with, you know, the abuse that I witnessed and um, received in the house with my mother and father, you know, I think he felt very defensive 
that they were so um, attached to me. Um, and they were attached to me because I had been home with them, with my mother. Um, and so, you know, it was very, very hard and very, um, I think that was probably not being able to communicate with them as much as I wanted to because he had like really silly things that he was doing that just did, was not helpful um, as far as limiting our communication that actually contributed to a lot of my depression and my loss, right? Because now I've lost my mother and I've also lost my brother and sister in a lot of different ways. Um, and so yeah. it wasn't until um, a mentor at Rutgers basically was like, you just need to, you just need to believe that God will take care of them. And yeah. that like freed me so much in so many ways because I was just so nervous that they were going to experience some of the same things that I did growing up being in his care. Did you feel mm -hmm. burdened with, um, did you feel burdened with the thought that now that your mom is gone, that you had to uphold to a certain level? Oh yeah. It eldest? wasn't even like being the eldest. I had it confused for a very long time that I was supposed to replace my mother. And I say that I was confused yeah. because they were not looking for a mother. They were looking for a big sister. And they so eloquently told me that, you know, when they were able to, but I just felt like, you know, I just, everything, you know, it was like, what would, oh my God, I did <laughs> it was like, what would my mother do, <laughs> I did you know? Um... <laughs> but that's the thing, you know, you, you sit as, you know, I'm the eldest as well. Right. So you sit yeah, you from got that the institutional seat, right? knowledge. You know what I mean? You've had the longest. <laughs> <laughs> that and like, you know, you're kind of yeah. raised that way too. You know, I was take care right. of the family, right? That's kind of what it is. And so um, my mom was a huge role model for me. So that kind of just made way without even right. thinking about it. It's not like I consciously even did it. I would say it was like second nature almost to just pick up and be my mom, Right. Um, with all good intentions, but like you said, it's funny that your siblings also said the same thing to you that, you know, they weren't right. looking for a mother, they were looking for an older sister, right? And a friend. So it's just that understanding of where the eldest are coming from and the burden that they feel over th themselves. Right. Like for mm -hmm. me, it was, I just need to get them to and through college. I just need like, right. Like that's the, that is the legacy of my mother. Right, that that is what she would have wanted for all of her children, and that is my responsibility. So forth and so forth. But baby, when they started turning eighteen and feeling like they didn't have to listen to me, right, or my suggestions or my advice, it took me a little bit. I was I was you know aggressive about it at first, and then I was like, wait a minute, these are functioning adults. They are no longer eleven and thirteen years old. They get to do exactly what I did at that age mess up, stumble, come back again, tumble again. And the what I can do is make sure that they know that they always have me, right? Like I don't have to be yes. anybody's parent or anything like that. Um, this is, they are, like I said, they're 22 and 24. This is, they are, my sister is exactly the age I was when I lost my mother and my brother is older. Like they are on their own journeys and on their own paths and, have had to 
for the, you know, I can't talk, I, I, I refuse to tell their yeah, story, that. but they've had to, you know, grow up in the same way. It takes a little bit of conditioning or unconditioning, yeah. I would say, to make that realization that they have their own journeys and that there is nothing to carry forward. And I think personally for me, what you just shared is that's something that I realized until after my mom passed. I think you're, you're helping in some ways, but um, I guess the help right. is not wanted, right? <laughs> <laughs> so you got to make peace with that too because it's kind of like been part of your role and identity right. as well and the way you've been and who am and I shaped. not for living for them and that was that was that, that you know <laughs> I, I didn't realize how much of that behavior of feeling like you are responsible for everyone like sleep into like even yeah. like love relationships Other yeah of- right yes oh my and goodness. just being like like no nobody caretaker you right this. nobody asked this of you Giselle like this is you and what is it about that that makes you feel like you have to do that right and so that that's that's the, the different un- lens right and the unlearning is what do you feel like you are lacking or that you need validation from or what what is your ego driving you to do to make you feel like you are that important and what I'm realizing is that that self-importance is because you've literally lost the one person who made you feel like everything was about you and that you were the most important thing ever and so how do you in what other ways do you get that feeling other than centering yourself in places that nobody asks you to censor them yourself in us humans are such tricky things right (laughs) (laughs) how we how we make way for the same things that we you know we don't even know that we need that it becomes a part of us and I wrote about that actually is the savior syndrome and caretaker role you know those are some of the things that we pick up along the way and just become a part of us and you know you unlearn as you go um, and you find your way. So I think that's some good stuff that comes out of, if anything, the transformation, right? But one thing that I wanted to touch on also going back to the mental health stuff and the labels, right? Like you could be maybe not feeling well or depressed, right? right? Clinically depressed, but they'll lazy Mm -hmm. or anxiety, you know, whatever, or, there's other names that you're not strong enough or you need to get tougher or tough love or whatever it is that they say, right? Um, as right. part of our culture, you know, that's kind of just, how did you undo those labels along with the caretaker and saver syndrome? <laughs> um, I think once I got the language for it, like once someone told me that that's what that was, it was very easy to let, to, to diminish what, people who were not experts were telling me about it my whole life, right? And it was also even more enlightening to, to see and understand what I was going through and recognizing that the same people who were telling me that I was lazy and such and such and all this other stuff were dealing with it in their own way too, right? Um, and so, like, that wasn't hard for me. I, I know people don't like labels and they don't like, you know, well, if you get, you know now you have an excuse as to no 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 for me it was clarity and because I had the clarity now I knew 
now I could get the tools, right? And I think that's so important that like I, once I got tools and the tools were working, it definitely wasn't laziness, right? It definitely wasn't any of those things because none of none none of what people were telling me to address what it was before actually worked, <laughs> right? So if mm-hmm. if my anxiety is at a high and someone tells me to do a centering, you know, exercise where you know you look at different things to to ground yourself into the moment, and it works, then guess what? It was. It must have been my anxiety and not me just in my head about what I was feeling um and so I think that was just very helpful that's why I encourage everyone to go and seek therapy seek it one time don't just do it one time I mean like constantly you know get the type of person that you need because you need someone to talk through these things with because everyone else again is dealing with some other thing like this is a therapist's job to only focus on what you're dealing with while everyone else has a million and one things that they're dealing with on top of everything else. And I think that was also an, an, yeah. an eye opening re- revelation for me that like, I can't expect things of people that they are not equipped to be able to do. So much truth in that, you know, um, I feel like a ton of knowledge just fell on me after my mom, you know, sort of what you're just expressing here is just, not to expect certain things if they're not in that exactly. space themselves. How can you expect that, right? And then, you know, you talked about therapy and seeking that out and recommending it out, right, to the communities here. But growing up, as you did with our cultural differences in our communities, how was that met? Was that something that was looked negatively upon or, you know, how yes. was therapy and talking okay. about mental so, health looked I, I don't know if it... <laughs> You know, when you said that, I, I, the, thing, the first thing that came to my mind was, you know, uh, I had a conversation, I remember a conversation like maybe seven, eight years ago. I'm sorry, there's all these thoughts in my head about this one question. So let me start over. So once, because I had therapy and I was a very much a champion for it because I was seeing it work in my life, right? Especially with the relationship with my father. My relationship with my father would not be what it is today without therapy, without Renee Jacobs, without, you know, Amy Yang, without like, I can, you know, all the different therapists that I've had from the beginning to now. Um, And I remember wanting to share those tools and resources that I was learning with my family. And, you know, I think we all have different dynamics with our parents, right? We all have issues and, you know, unfortunately for you and I, Pearls, you know, we, with my mother, like our mothers, we can't work it all the way out. But people have an opportunity to with the parents that they have that are living. And so, you know, I was giving some advice or something and my grandmother goes, oh yeah, because you know everything. You just know everything, don't you? Because you're going to the therapist and you just feel like you just know everything, just miss know it all. And I just busted out laughing because I was like, yo, like, <laughs> I'm, I, I'm sorry that I'm, I'm just trying to give you a, a, a little bit of, you know, assistance in, in working this thing out. But the tone was just very much like, you know, here you go, you know, because, and, and good, bad, or indifferent. Yes. Here I am. This, th- yes, you're right. This is exactly what I learned about my trauma. 
This is exactly what we need to be doing. We need to be able to communicate differently and, and learn how to, you know, have conflict without having, you know, big blowups and all these different things. Like we should be able to talk things through. But again, those are things that you learn in therapy. Like, I don't know otherwise. <laughs> like, I'm like, I'm in a different type of community. You don't know what you don't know, you know? So I think that's another part of it. Like for the community um, growing up, in an Indian community, it's it's always usually right. you listen to your elders, right? You respect them, and you, and it's not that we don't respect them. It's just that they are not exactly. always right. They just may not know um, everything that there is to know, and that we can all learn from each other. And that's very novel for them to take on, um, and almost comes off as disrespectful if you're trying to share some knowledge, drop some knowledge to them, and they're like, what? But it's again, but again down, we right? see what they've been <laughs> you know? doing, and it's like, that doesn't work. It's not working. So we have to do something differently. Like, that's just always where I am. I'm like, is what you're doing working? And if it's not, what do you need to do differently? Yeah, and I think that's another way for the community to, you know, exactly. us suppressing ourselves, right? from growing, from learning, because we're so used to this old time share information of the, you know, the eldest knows best. And, you know, just to come out of that, it's hard sometimes, right? Until you learn something, until you hear a different language being spoken to you. And then you're just like, wait a minute, that makes kind of sense. Let me try it, right? So I think there is opportunity for us as a community to grow within ourselves. You know, it's not, it's to go within our communities and just say, was everything that we've been brought up with and raised along um, true? Is still working? Is it, is it time to look back and say, Hey, there's new things and tools that we can equip ourselves. There is some things called anxiety and panic attacks and, um, depression, that these are real issues um, that as human beings are normal. That's it's, Right. It's I like normal. to call it the gift of grief. <laughs> you know, right. That that is the gift of grief. Yeah. That it allows us to take stock. Right. You just you have that moment in time that's like, wait a minute, what really matters? What could I be doing differently? How is this not working for me? Who should be in my corner? What is serving me? What isn't serving me? Because you get to reimagine a whole different life because the life you thought was going to happen is no more. Yeah. It's that realization. It's that crossroad that brings it down to just that, right? Like, what am I doing now? Nothing that I knew of exists any longer. So you have to force yourself. It's a forced new beginning. Kicking and screaming. Yes, kicking and screaming. And while that's the case, you know, it's transformed into a blessing of sorts, I would say, in in some respects. You know what? Yes, I miss my mother dearly and I lost the relationship with my best friend. But this person could not have arrived without my mom's passing, you know, and I think you shared something like that with me too yeah. about you and your transformation yes, exactly. and your um, You know, just thinking about, you know, the, I, I think in loss is an opportunity to live and 
for me, you know, losing my mother, I, there were just so many different things that I felt like I couldn't do or I shouldn't be doing or I wanted to do that I felt like I wasn't able to do. Um, but once, you know, I lost my mother, there really were no limits to anything because like at that point, like what's the worst that can happen? Oh, it already did. Right. Like <laughs> Nothing. Yeah. And nobody's holding you back. So there's no, no one to blame. There's, anymore, there was, right? there was, there's no one to blame. There's also no safety net. Right. Like there is no, no, like that's what we consider moms. Mom is always there. To, to have your back when you fall, to catch you when you fall and all of those things. And that just didn't, didn't exist anymore. Um, and I think a lot of what my journey has been the past 11 years. And I remember, you know, just even in the year in, in traveling, I remember feeling like I'm going to do everything that my mother didn't get to do. Right. Like, and all of the things that she appreciated about me and I didn't get back to that person until maybe maybe three or four years ago um but there was just so much more for, for of life for her to live that now I feel like I've kind of like in like made it my own right like I my mother was 42 right 42 is very very young I am eight years away from that right now I can't even imagine like what it will feel like at 42 and then feel like that there's no life left. Yeah. Yeah. And so now you yeah. live through that too, right? You living for her. Yeah. I feel like we're connecting on so many different things because I'm living through what you're speaking through. And it's like, I can see myself where you are in certain things that you're expressing here and it's just <laughs> amazing <laughs> we're, we're just having such a great conversation like like last time right <laughs> I know yeah and you know what that's that's the beauty of this it's like it's unscripted and it just goes and you find some things that you're sharing along the way and sometimes it surprises you too yeah, so and I really like, appreciate it's that, good like, so we're not grounding it in the actual loss right like I think so many narratives of grief is grounded in the loss and not necessarily in the experience of losing yourself um the person mm -hmm. your dreams your ideals your whatever um and we don't talk enough about how to come back from the loss and like what do you do to come back from the loss um yeah, because it it's a whole experience. It definitely is. And yep. I would have never known that, you know. So you're absolutely spot on there. It's like it is a whole experience. And I don't think no. an experience that ever ends because now it's forever changed. And so because of that, you are forever changed. Your life path has forever changed. And that's it. It you know, is. That's a lot. And, it, and it's a heavy mantle <laughs> to... Um... And I say that because I think a lot of my decisions are very much rooted in not having my mother around in a way that makes it feel like 
like not having her around and then still wanting to make her proud right and so you know dating is this somebody my mother would want me to be with is this the type of treatment my mother would want me to be to have you know and accept you know like is this (laughs) it's funny how that works right because then when when, when they're here and vocal (laughs) you're just like mom you don't know anything like whatever you know i got this i'm good you know and now that they're not here it's like you hold on to that with such (laughs) such intense yes and like that's everything like you it it really lives in you and your behaviors are manifested from what yeah. you've heard your mom speak upon you. And it's, it's, it's that way in that their legacy still is with us. And I love to look at it that way because it's like, she's no. never gone. You know, she's always there with me in my decisions and every single decision in everything that maybe even before I didn't consider yeah. now she is a part of, you know, so it's and like, yeah, and even funny, when I don't get it right, I'm like, way. my mom knows who I am, <laughs> right? Like, she knows the daughter she raised. <laughs> it's a powerful exchange, you know, even though they're not here in the physical realm with us um, that we hold, because um, it was a real relationship that we had, you know, um, and I think that's the beautiful part yeah, that it one carries. One of our longest, still right? our on, longest relationships know? to date until we grow so old that it's not. Um, and, and I think my sister just reached that moment this year like she has now been alive longer than she's had a mother and that took yeah. her right for a spin it's just like wow you know I made it here and yeah yeah it's surreal having those moments are definitely surreal while you are looking at the people left behind in this specific lens I am looking at the the void we fill um because we don't talk about our loved ones anymore right like we don't get an opportunity to say you know my mom's name Heather Right. Like, I don't say that. I don't I can't remember the last time I said mommy. Right. Like, I remember Mm -hmm. realizing that, like, as many times as I said it, sorry, I'm getting teary eyed. Sorry. (laughs) As many times as I said it before, I was never going to be able to say it again to her. And I remember being in the shower one time and just screaming out, mommy, 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 mommy. And nobody was going to answer. And so, you know, like, that was, so those things, and that, again, 11 years later, that's still very real to me, even talking about it, because that's the reality. Like, I don't have a mother. I have mommy figures. I have people who are, you know, proxy, but I don't have my mother. And so that has changed me in so many ways and most I think most prominent for me right now is just this idea of what motherhood is and having so much putting so much pressure on myself to be everything that my brother and sister needed um 
I gave up so much of like my 20s and my, you know, mostly my 20s, um, making sure that I was stable and stuff for them that I didn't get to really figure out what I wanted to do for me. Um, And so, you know, in honoring my mother, I have, you know, done more for myself these past couple of years, which is, you know, very antithetical to what a mother is, right? (laughs) You're supposed to be like, you know, the martyr and Mm -hmm. self-sacrificing, all of those things. And I did that. And, you know, I I feel like my brother and sister appreciate what I did have to sacrifice for them. And I didn't even think of it as sacrifice. It was just what I talked about earlier, what I felt like I was Mm -hmm. supposed to do. Like I didn't, it wasn't a choice for me. And I remember one of my mentors saying, no, you had a choice. You always had a choice. You didn't have to stick around. You could have gone somewhere else after your mother passed away, but you chose to stay with your brother and your sister. And so that was my choice. Um, But now, you know, I've grown into knowing and understanding that I have a choice for me and I can choose myself now um, in ways that I hadn't really done before the last couple of years. I've moved to Chicago. I started a whole life out here. um, And because of therapy, I've been able to be a better communicator, be a better friend, be a better daughter, be a better sister, um, perhaps be a better lover. I don't know. <laughs> I need to have a boyfriend for that. <laughs> um, but I will say it's just made me just that much more sensitive to purpose, responsibility, and like how I interact with people. Um, and how I love and um, recognizing that we don't like no one like no one belongs to us we are privileged to be able to share space and time with the people that we are we come into contact with and we should cherish those moments and cherish each other um, and act accordingly I love that truly that it's not something to be taken granted for you know sometimes these biological relationships that we've had since day one we seem to just think that they'll always be there that we're it's never going to change right but it does and you know that that's that's a beautiful share and um you got me choked up on that thing because you're right. I'm never going to be able to say that. I'm never going to be able to call for my mom anymore, you know, and that's um, that's a reality that I, I sit with also, you know. It's, it's funny because sometimes I talk to her and I say her name, but right. no one's listening, right? Or I think, I hope, like, you know, I, I think that was a great share on your behalf, Giselle. I think you told a great um story of your 11 years through grief and transformation i would just say if there's anything to be taken away from this podcast share and with giselle and myself sharing from our seats is that don't forget them you know that there are people that have experienced the loss of a significant one but then there are things that we can do to continue honoring the dead 
by honoring the ones that are still here. Um, yeah. Um, so the holidays are coming up, thing. right? <laughs> now would be a good time to start reaching oh, yeah. out to them, see what their holiday plans are. Are they going to be alone? Are they going to be with family? Are they going to be with friends? Um, do they, you know, now we're in COVID, so perhaps they will be alone. Do you want to Zoom them? Do you send them a card that you're thinking of them? Um, you know, call them, reach out to them, text them, you know, just let them know that you, they are on your mind and that you're thinking of them. And it doesn't have to be heavy. It can just be, you know, I just, I send, I love you texts, right? Like, I love you. Right, like that's it. Um, again, it can be simple, yeah. and it's really just about the fact that that you didn't forget about me. Yeah, and I think that's um, another area that, in for for instance, for my for me at least personally, the mother is right. usually the glue of a family unit. So a lot goes away with that, right? When a mother passes, it's like she's the one who got the family together. She's the one who had the big parties, the family gatherings, the cooking, all that jazz that goes into, you know, the holidays and the preparations of it. And it's just the loss of community and the family community and the relationships and the the sharing of space between each other. You know, it's it's just all gone. And it's just such a sad um, experience to have gone through when you've had it so beforehand, right? And yeah, you're right. I think those are the toughest times that I've had since my mom. And I, I honestly appreciate the holidays in a different way now, you know, how much that actually connected us and brought us together. It wasn't just, oh, God, I got to get right. all this together. I got to get everybody a gift now. I got to figure this out. I got to logistically planned this it's not even about that it's just like we got together and made time for each other and effort towards each other and that was just a lot (laughs) my food the food was the my favorite part of course but I really miss that part the most but yeah and I think those are some great tips that you shared Giselle um and how we can check up on those who are left behind and how we can support them um and you also did share that it doesn't have to be this massive, huge effort. It's just simple things like making sure did they eat? Because sometimes it's just that basic needs that people who are suffering through a, a grief and loss um, need just simple, basic exactly. needs. Exactly. Okay. That wraps up my podcast. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you've made it to the end and like what you've heard, go ahead and make sure to follow me and my journey through transformation at Pearl's Randomness on Instagram. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast as well. I'm determined to bring on more guests that will share their transformational stories and connect our human experiences one podcast at a time. Thanks for being here. Peace out.